Hey everyone, I'm Julie Gunlock, host of the Bespoke Parenting Hour. For those new to the program, this podcast is focused on how parents should custom tailor their parenting style to fit what's best for themselves, their families, and of course their kids. Today I'm talking to May Mailman. She's the director of the Independent Women's Law Center and co-counsel for the plaintiffs in an important landmark court case, Levang versus Kappa Kappa Gamma. Today we're going to be talking about that case and also why moms and really all parents should be aware of what's going on in sororities across the nation. Uh, Like many institutions in America, it appears sororities, uh, which used to provide single sex spaces for young women on campuses, have been taken over by the extreme left. The leadership of these organizations haven't only uh, allowed men into these women's spaces, which is a violation of some of these sororities bylaws, the leaders of these sororities are lashing out at those who object in the hopes of silencing the truth and intimidating current members and alumna. Welcome, May. I'm excited to have you on to talk about this important topic. Hey, Julie. So I I want you to give us a background on this case. I think this has been in the news. A lot of people are familiar with this case. Um, This is occurring in in Wyoming, um, and these young women uh, have stood up and they're suing So give us a brief background and what the current state of affairs is. Yeah, so this is happening in all places at the University of Wyoming. So I'm telling you, if it can happen there, it can happen truly, truly anywhere. Um, But basically, this is the fall of 2022. There is a male, like looks like a male, uh, going through recruitment. All all the women kind of know about this. But uh, he ended up being cut from every house during the actual formal recruitment process. Um, So, and there's only four sororities at Wyoming. So, you know, they all kind of knew each other and and everyone was really on the same page. It wasn't really an anti, no, not, it wasn't really. It was not an anti-male, anti-trans, anything. This man was just not a fit. I mean, some of the conversations that he would have in some of the sororities just led them to say, this there's not we don't have anything in common like this isn't going to work just from a sisterhood perspective so anyway all of a sudden uh then the kappa kappa gamma chapter decided to do an open recruitment to let this man in and it made a lot of women uncomfortable rightfully so and so kappa kappa gamma changed the rules in order to force this man in. So for example, they did voting when some of the members could not be present, even though every member is supposed to vote Hmm. on new membership. Also, they made the voting be public through a Google poll, basically, rather than the private Kappa Kappa Gamma internal anonymous voting. And the women were notified that if they voted against this male's inclusion, then they would be a bigot. And obviously bigotry is a reason to be expelled from the sorority. So all of a sudden now the rules are being changed to favor somebody who had already been, uh, you know, not, not gotten yeah, to be appropriate. Yes, appropriate. Formal yes. recruitment. So now we're elevating men above women. This would never happen for a woman trying to get through. Also, this individual didn't have the GPA in order to get in. 
to Kappa. So all of the rules are being broken down in order to force the male's inclusion into the female sorority. Now, in Kappa Kappa Gamma, you've got women who are sexual assault survivors and say so in the complaint. Um, and and just basic women who who sought a female only space. And as anyone knows who's joined a sorority, it's expensive. Yeah. So here, here's women who have financially committed to living somewhere. Anyway, the male is is through. Kappa wouldn't hear any of these women out. So they were really left with suing, which is never anyone's first choice. Um, and we can talk a little oh, bit about okay. how that decision process and all that went. Well, I, and I, and we'll, we, I do want to talk about that, but you know, it's interesting to me, I was talking to a mom who has children in college and she was telling me that everything's co-ed nowadays. And so, you know, her daughter, you know, they have separate men and women's showers and bathrooms for now. Um, but her daughter, you know, has her robe on and her little shower kit and walks down the dorm room and the dorms are, again are co-ed. And so in some cases, it seems like more and more of these sororities might be the only place where if you're a sexual assault survivor and you don't want to have be in a co-ed space. Um, so it seems to me that these sororities, again, offering spaces just for women are even more important in our day and age where so many of the dorms are going co-ed. Um, go ahead. Yeah, exactly. And I would add that at the University of Wyoming specifically, it's a very ag college. So it is a pretty male dominated uh, place. Yeah. So these are women who are doing all of their classes. All of their majors are very male dominated. They're in male fields. And there's a lot of statistics about women, if you're in female only environments, they're more willing to take on leadership, they're more willing to speak in class, uh, it's better for their scholastics, it's better for their resumes. So being part of a sorority, in addition to just the safety that you feel there, statistically, it will help build the confidence so that you can go tackle co-ed or in the case of the University of Wyoming, predominantly male uh, fields and spaces. It's so interesting, May, that you bring that up because years ago I did a lot of writing on the fact that the Boy Scouts, which is no longer called the Boy Scouts, is now just called the Scouts. I refuse, though. I still call it the Boy Scouts. Um, and it was because they decided to go co-ed and they decided to bring girls in. And they have, you know, these sort of separate but equal chapters. Um, and I talked a lot about that those studies that show um, the importance of, I was trying to explain the importance of Girl Scouts and how we should build up Girl Scouts rather than just invading the Boy Scouts um, because girls do really thrive in female-only spaces um, and so do boys, you know? And so this is very interesting. I, I, it's a bit of a tangent, but that is so, it's, it's a part of this that I didn't really even consider. Tell me a little bit about this man, Artemis Langford. He's, I don't, I, he's massive. From, from a male standpoint, he's a very large man. And I know that he identifies as a transgender woman, but he is a very large man, very intimidating. He was allowed to live in that house with these girls. Is that correct? Or so was he, he visiting? So he doesn't currently live there, but he can be there whenever he wants, right? So even if he's not sleeping there, if he's there at 11 p.m. He's and you're showering and there's no locks on the doors, I don't know if there's really a distinction there. Right. Um, and there's no ban on him living there. So that's the other thing that these women are scared of, which is 
can I have some sort of assurance from Kappa? Um, you know, what's going to happen next year? Because, you know, people like to plan. They don't, they don't want to join a sorority where all of a sudden, you know, next month your, your housing has been flipped upside down. You want to know for the full year that something is, is going to be going on. So, uh, you know, out, my focus, our focus is not Artemis. It is what's going on for these women, but just so that people are aware of the facts that are alleged in the complaint, um, which is that Artemis is 6'2", I think 260 pounds, so just a, a very large presence. Um, the women were very kind, I think, to Artemis as a person, just um offered makeup tips, offered to share even dresses for formal occasions, these sorts of things. Um, but ultimately they felt very uncomfortable because of things that Artemis did. In, uh, the complaint alleges a very invasive personal question about their breasts, about their vaginas, um, uh, sexual experiences, uh, pictures that were taken that were uh, unwanted, things like that. So, um, you know, none of our case really depends on that being the case. So if women are facing men in their spaces who are somehow, I don't know, le less like that, I guess, we would still be equally yes. upset about the yes. situation. But I think that when you read what's going on here to simply say that women should just put it aside. Um, yes. It, it conveys yeah. to these women that they have the problem, that they have the problem. And it is so interesting to me that this close after me too, the me too movement was just supposed to shed light on, on this and, and really, you know, sort of give women the comfort level to come forward with these stories. We have switched it again, where women are told that if you have a problem with a male in your space, and even if you're a sexual assault survivor, you're the one with the problem. And we're seeing this in schools, too. We're seeing this with pronoun use. We're seeing this um, with the parents' rights issue. If you don't instantly affirm your parent, your child's new gender, you're the one with the problem. So it really is this sort of um, like psychological abuse of people who have a shred of common sense. You, you look at this, it just feels wrong. And yet you're being told, and these women were being told by Kappa um, and their own housemates. If, if we can explore that a little bit, these girls objected. They objected to the way in which the bylaws were ignored. They objected to the vote, the an anonymity of it, um, or lack of anonymity rather. And then they were made to feel like they were bigots with it, by some of, some of the members of that sorority. Is that correct? Yeah, I think that's the other upsetting piece here is that not only has the inclusion of a male violated these women's feeling of safety and feeling of sisterhood, but also that it has ripped apart the sisterhood itself, right? You have introduced without a consideration and changing of the bylaws and like a, a nationwide vote, you've sort of shoved through this policy that is directly affecting people without any democratic process at all. Like in order to change membership, this is a two year process that usually has to uh, take place where the entire Kappa Kappa Gamma votes. So there are some people who did feel, you know, this the the young the young kids these days i think uh have been very much made to feel tiktok has 70 billion views on hashtag trans 
uh, that that there's something good and holy oh, about yes. allowing men into female spaces. And there are some women who do not believe that. And these are deeply held beliefs. And just the discomfort and the animosity and the exclusion and the constant presence that this has had ripping apart just their friendships has been super damaging. So I think for the women who do support, you know, males in sororities, of course, they're entitled to like feel that way. The problem is when you shove your understanding of something down someone else's throat, that's just never going to be the right way. Right. And that's, I think what we've seen in too many fields, which is I'm going to tell you you're a bigot. I'm going to tell you you're a racist. I'm going to tell you whatever. And, and therefore I win without doing the hard work of like talking this through and persuading. So, so it is really damaged a sorority, I think from that end as well. I want to also talk about it. It wasn't just within their own sorority and certain, certainly the sorority leadership, because there's sort of a, a leadership or, you know, the organization is sort of run, has a headquarters, but then, you know, they were sort of betrayed by also some of their own members, which as you mentioned, and I think put well that it's sort of torn their own, uh, that sort that particular sorority sort of apart. But the media reaction, I have a couple headlines I want to put up here and you can look at them too. Um, if we can put those up. Yeah. The real victim uh, is the trans students, right? And this was specifically talking about Artemis Langford. He's the real victim here. We have an, a, a couple others. Uh, a trans a, a trans woman's journey to acceptance, right? Sort of casting Artemis as this big, you know, again, a, a victim of this and, you know, sort of a victim of the mean girl. Uh, trope about, you know, young women. Um, let's see the next one. Yeah. This is in the Washington Post. Big feature. Look at that photo, right? Artfully taken. A trans woman joined a sorority and then her new sisters turned on her. I mean, it's just pretty, pretty odious here. And I think we have one more. Yeah. Sorority members think supportive sisters after legal challenge for removal failed. So there again, sort of casting, you know, there's the good sorority sisters who are supporting her and the ones who feel uncomfortable with this hulking male's presence who makes comments about their private parts and their breasts, they're the ones with the problem. Um, this media attention that they got, I know that they have since gotten a lot of support and I want to talk about that a little bit, uh, but, uh, but that had to have been incredibly difficult for these young girls to experience that. I think that's right. So, you know, although this, the recruitment happened starting in fall 2022, they didn't file their lawsuit and they did file it anonymously first in the spring of 2023. And I think a lot of the delay there was fear of being labeled the bad guys simply for saying that sororities should be female only, which is something that the vast, vast majority of um, Americans agree with. But I think what they have discovered and what we've discovered in uh, whether it's Riley Gaines, whether it's Kim Russell, who is the coach at Oberlin College, who came out in favor of women's sports. You know, these are people who anticipated those headlines being reality, right? Be feeling like the bad guy. But then in actuality, it's just a headline and all of the emails being sent to them, all of the messages on social media are positive. I mean, you know, Kim Russell will tell you she gets one negative for maybe every 50 positive, something good, like that. Good. 
So yes, you do see a concerted attempt by Ivy League graduates at the Washington Post who went to the University of Wyoming with a photographer and a reporter, so two staff members there and stayed there for an entire week, very dedicated uh, to doing this. And then if you read the comments on uh, like when Washington Post posted this on their Twitter, it is outrageous. Like the people who are following Washington Post on Twitter say, how dare you vi villainize young women, tw you know, 20 year old yeah. women who just want a single sex living space. So nobody actually believes these headlines. It's like it's like a small minority of very committed leftists, but it it gives people pause before coming out. It has that scare factor. Yes. Well, you know, we we also talk about the fact that people stay quiet because they don't want to get into these messes. They don't want and they we also I think one of the main reasons, and this is sort of pre-Riley Gaines. I don't think there were a lot of role models. And now Riley Gaines, Kim Russell, uh, you know, Paula Scanlon, this this group of Cap Gabigam women, I mean, I, I think that now, if you had, I mean, I think just a couple of years ago, you know, this was terrifying for people to speak up about this. And to see this building, that actually makes me feel really happy because what you just described as these women getting a lot of you know, supportive emails and, you know, yes, there is the occasional negative comment. Um, but I wasn't, I didn't know that. So that, that actually makes me feel like we're really making headway and you can, you can really, you know, I try not to be an Eeyore about these things, but it does seem like swimming against the current sometimes. So that, that is hopeful. Um, you know, this is a parenting podcast and I, I try to, to offer advice or guidance on certain things. And, you know, this is also, it, it does go into the parenting arena because we send our kids off to college, young, you know, mothers send their daughters off to college and Hey, you know, I, I didn't, I was not in a sorority, but like I knew, I knew women who were, and you send them off to college. Maybe they're going to pledge, especially if you were Kappa Kappa Gamma or you were, you know, a certain sorority. It's, this isn't just Kappa Kappa Gamma, though. Um, I did a very basic search and found 30 other national sororities that are allowing males, biological males, transgender identify males um, in, into sororities. And I, I don't even know if that's the accurate number. Have you done any research into this? So it's all of them. Um, all of the Panhellenic uh, sororities, in theory, at least through their words, say that they are open to males. Um, the national gathering body, so the National Panhellenic Conference, um, it, it, it doesn't dictate your membership, but at least it indicates where the other sororities are. It says that for purposes of recruitment, woman shall mean anyone who identifies as woman. Then, it, you know, it, it caveats, it says, of course, your membership decisions are your own. Of course, they are. But I think uh, there... <laughs> You know, each sorority has one person who goes and represents that sorority at National Panhellenic Conference, and it would take a tremendous amount of bravery to say, no, we cannot do this. Um, and it is very upsetting and very unfortunate that no one decided to do that. 
Um, but even though the sororities might give some sort of lip service to we allow males, anyone who identifies as a woman, whatever, uh, the problem is you can't just do that. You can't just say I'm changing my membership criteria. And that really is the basis of our lawsuit. You as a private membership organization have bylaws. Those bylaws are clear about who you can and can't let in. All of a sudden, if you wanted to say, I want 90 year olds in my sorority, but it, your bylaws clearly say uh, you have to be in college or whatever. And this person is long graduated from college. Like there are some rules. And if you are going to change what your membership criteria are, then you have to go through that bylaw process. So yes, it's a little bit scary that all of these, uh, you know, sororities are saying that that they're doing this. On the other hand, I still think that there's an opportunity for women to have a voice, and that is through the bylaw process, and women should raise their voice. Um, and that's something that we at IWF hope that we can help with. Uh, but it is actually the parents a lot as well, because these women would not have brought a lawsuit. They would not have been able to complain to national yeah. sororities. So a lot of the emails going out two nationals are coming from the parents who are very involved here. When I'm talking to these young women, I'm oftentimes on the phone with their parents as well. Um, and, and, you know, it was basically through these connections through then Kappa alumni that were able to fund the initial round of the lawsuit and bring this case out. So, uh, these girls are brave, but they did not do this alone. They did this right. with their parents. That's right. That's right. What advice do you give parents when you talk to them? Do you say, don't pledge? Don't pledge until this is resolved. Don't don't go into sororities. Is is it an institution that's sort of gone to 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 women now? Or 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 do you think this will be resolved and a better sort of uh, situation for women on campuses will emerge soon? Yeah, I just think that we can't retreat, right? So if you don't pledge and if you don't do it, and if you say, I'm going to go do something else, then maybe you can build up some sort of like Christian type, like women's home that'll never have the same experience in a, that you would in a sorority. You'll never have the alumni network. You'll never have... Uh, just the social environment that that you would in a sorority. So in my opinion, um, the sorority is not like the public schools in some, it's, it's right. not at that point where you have to like remove Abandon your child it. from the burning building. Yeah. Um, that said, I think it is a conversation that needs to be had before uh, they go to school or like, you know, during summer break before they return to school, which is if there's something happening that makes you feel uncomfortable and you feel as though you're being forced into it in order to like be the good person, let's have a conversation about that because there are avenues for you to feel safe, which is what you deserve. You at least deserve that. Yeah. And um, I don't think some of these girls really recognized what they deserved. Um, they, they did sort of feel as though I'm being made to put up with this. And I think it is the role of the parents to, you can't save your kid from everything, yeah. but you can at least let them know that thing that you think is wrong is actually wrong. Yeah. Yeah. They do that that's confirmation. Great. And that's yeah. what I've been, you know, talking with the parents is like, 
they were there to confirm, yep, that this is wrong. Um, and and frankly, college is the ultimate, you know, moral relativism play space, right? Where, you know, I mean, when I was in college, I went to the Newman Center and I made sure that I had, you know, good Catholics around me that I felt did not feel influenced by, frankly, bad influences. But, you know, in class that that came with, you know, it, it that's part of it. But I think you're right um, that that is an, an, a very important role for parents to play is to trust their gut instincts, um, because the, the gaslighting of these young women is what I have found the most disturbing. Tell me what where is um, very quickly, where is um, the case? What is the next step with the case? Yeah, so these girls were booted out of court in the district court, um, even though they said, hey, look, the bylaws say women and they're letting in men. I think that that's a, you know, that's the directors owe duties to the sorority and these directors have violated their duties by shoving this mail through the process that I explained earlier. Um, the district court said, I, I read that. I see that. I agree with you that directors have to follow the bylaws. However, we're going to let Kappa interpret woman however it wants to. Never really said what that meant. Like, where, how, so what does that even mean? So we appealed that case and we are now in front of the appellate court, which is in Denver, Colorado. So it's fully briefed. There, uh, all of our arguments are on our website at IWLC.org. There's a lot of feminist groups that wrote in favor of it. Kappa alumni wrote in favor of us. Those are all before the court and they're all on our website. Um, we are waiting right now to hear whether we get oral argument. And then if we do get an oral argument, when that's going to be. And then after that, we're going to go make our best case um, and hope for a win. Thank you, May. Thanks for giving us all this really important information. Keep us updated. Come back and keep us updated on the case and good luck with everything. Thanks, Julie. Thanks, May. The Bespoke Parenting Podcast with Julie Gunlock is a production of the Independent Women's Forum. You can send comments and questions to julie.gunlock at iwf.org. Please help me out by hitting the subscribe button and leaving us a comment or review on Apple Podcasts, Acast, Google Play, YouTube, IWF, um, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Hang in there, parents, and go bespoke.